0: Well, here we go again. Just as double vaccination rates are rising in Canada, so are the number of new cases of the latest variant of COVID, Omicron. Will it mean a fifth wave for us? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. It was discovered in a neighborhood in South Africa, and it was hitting younger people in a largely unvaccinated area. Now, what concerned the epidemiologists with the ability of the virus to spread quickly and to evade protection? How will this impact us, if at all, is yet to be seen? But the federal government was quick to close the border to people from a number of South African nations. Our unpublished.vote question asks you, will the Omicron variant lead to a fifth wave of the pandemic? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll talk to Steve Jordan, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto Scarborough about the psychological impacts of a new variant on the population. As well, David Coletto of Abacus Data will join us to talk about how Canadians feel about Omicron. And Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business stops by to discuss the ramifications for small business in the face of possible tighter controls to stop the spread. But first, let's get a look at the variant itself with Ray Wat an epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Ottawa. And, and Ray, was another variant inevitable in this pandemic?
1: It was completely foreseeable, given that we have not done everything that we can or should do to curtail transmission in the world's most beset and crowded places, meaning the developing world. So this is a reminder of things like vaccine equity and uh, getting respirators and masks into the, the corners of the world that don't have them. We have been slow and unproductive on that front, and we're paying the price now.
0: I was wondering ab- about that. You know, we, wealthier countries around the world were really quick to vaccinate their population, but it left a lot of people on the outside looking in, didn't it?
1: There's so many lessons here, right? Uh, this, the globe has borders that are artificial viruses don't care about borders viruses don't care about which airlines are operating which planes they'll get on the plane so we'd only solve this problem if we do so as a species at a global level not at a national level not uh, um, in terms of one nation and even one province has to be a global simultaneous effort how do
0: variants change to hide from the immune system it seems this has the ability
1: yeah so um this new one omicron has at least 32 mutations on on the spike protein so the spike protein is that thing that sticks out of the surface of the virus it's the license plate of the vehicle and right now your immune system and the viruses are trained or sorry the vaccines rather are trained to identify the vehicle by the license plate now if the license plate has been sufficiently altered by these 32 mutations won't recognize them anymore. Suddenly, they get past our defenses. So it's just the change, mostly it's the change in recognizing the virus, but there are probably some other alterations uh, involved in the the tightness of the fit on the the, uh, uh, receptors and maybe the number of actual virus particles needed to achieve an infectious dose.
0: You know, it appears to be, or targeting younger people, is this because they're unvaccinated?
1: Yeah, it's unclear. So there are two ways to look at, at this. There's the epidemiological view and there's the virological view. The virological view has to do with what we see in the laboratory. So is there anything about the, the, the physical nature of the virus that maybe makes it more amenable to young people? I don't know about that. Epidemiologically, we are seeing it you know, uh, manifesting in populations with a younger skew. That might just mean, as you point out, that those individuals are more likely to be unvaccinated, more likely to be engaging in social activities. Young people have a lot more social uh, contacts in a given week than you and I do, oh folks, Mm. right? So they're more likely to be exposed to these things and given the hypertransmissibility of the virus, more likely to be sick. So there's a lot to unpack there from those two viewpoints, the laboratory viewpoint and the population viewpoint.
0: What was it about the environment, this, uh, this neighborhood in South, South Africa, to allow it to, to, to flourish? Was it just, you know, we talk about the lack of vaccinations in some of these countries and mm-hmm. young people congregating together. Was that just it?
1: Yeah, it's mostly that. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine it has to do with the lack of access to good quality masks. And that's important. Uh, COVID is airborne. I can't say that enough. That means respirator masks are important, not just the cloth masks. We don't have those in poor parts of the world um And the the inability of people to physically distance, the likelihood of being indoors for extended periods of time, and the lack of vaccination. You know, there's also something to be said for maybe a degree of um, susceptibility in the population, uh, the levels of immune disease in the population, the uh, levels of uh, poor nutrition, et cetera. All these things can play a role. Why are the
0: double vaccinated yet again?
1: Aha, good question. Um, So the Sigal lab run by my old friend Alex Sigal in Africa recently published an important paper showing that um, uh, if you've had two doses, the vaccine can seem to get through them. And also uh, the ability of antibodies to neutralize this variant is diminished, except if you've got previous infection plus a vaccination. So hybrid immunity seems to work Mm -hmm. a a great deal. It's hard to say why. We know that with double vaccination, we are seeing waning, neutralizing immunity. Let me explain what that means. Your immune system has two arms, the cellular arm and the humeral arm. The humeral arm is the antibodies. It prevents the, uh, the insult from entering your body in the first place. We call that neutralizing immunity. The cellular arm prevents serious disease. So once you've already been infected, can it stop it in its tracks so you don't get really sick and die? The cellular arm has a long memory. And two doses seems to do really well there. We, we see very little waning of immunity after two doses uh, many, many months afterwards. So the ability of two doses to protect you from serious disease is extraordinary. But the ability of two doses to protect you from infection is waning. So that's probably what we're seeing here is the, the waning immunity plus the ability of this variant to causes those 32 mutations to bypass the ability to identify the uh, the and splate. Those two things together are probably causing the breakthrough infections so
0: is the third dose the only way out
1: it is it is an important consideration the third dose will definitely increase our ability to neutralize and prevent initial infection and therefore our ability to transmit to other people i think it's an important tool to really slow their penetration of this disease um using the physical tools we have so ventilation and mask wearing i mean high quality mask wearing by the way work on all variants doesn't matter what new variants they might throw at us A physical barrier will always work Uh, a proper hepa filter in your house will always work we have the tools to control this and to prevent this from spreading further we just have to use them should we be preparing for another possible variant (laughs) yeah we should until we get this under control so this requires a global focused effort to flood the world with N95 quality respirators, so everyone can have access to them, to uh, uh, to install HEPA style filters in most indoor spaces and to make vaccination available to all. We can stop this this year or 2022 if we have the political will, but uh, failure to do so means, yeah, we should probably prepare for another variant. Will that cause further waves? That's unclear. Ray, I wanna thank you for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure.
0: Rewa Dionandon is an epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Ottawa. Now, this pandemic has been a roller coaster ride for us, and in particular for small business. Dan Kelly is the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and he knows full well that nauseous feeling of that ride. And Dan joins us now. And Dan, what went through your mind when you first heard there was a new variant?
2: You know, there, this this has truly been the roller coaster over the last couple of years, and and it looks like we're in for another another a spell here. Um, it is so depressing because every time we think we're climbing our way out of uh, of the COVID emergency, there is some new threat or new uncertainty that is thrown on the pile that small businesses have been facing for almost two years. Um, this cannot end soon enough, but uh, gosh, here we are now. Ontario announcing further—you uh, know—extending some of the restrictions that have been in place. Uh, deeply, deeply troubling a spot to be in. Uh, you know, many were predicting these boom times that small businesses would would just be flush with cash because all the consumers crawling out of their basements would be would be spending their money. We just haven't seen that. Maybe one day it'll happen, but it sure hasn't happened
0: yet. Now you are in constant contact with uh, your members right across the country, and and when this announcement came out about this new variant, what was their reaction?
2: Well, uh, d- you know this is really depressing uh, for for the most part. I mean, this this you know they're they're hoping that at one point we're going to be able to to turn the turn the tide here and and actually get back to sales. Many people out there driving around uh, may think that when they see a, you know a parking lot or busy streets. That and and businesses open once again, that things are back to normal, but behind the counter uh, in a small business, in a retail setting, uh, or in in a restaurant behind the table, I got to tell you, it's anything but normal. If you can believe it, two years into this, only 36% of small businesses are back to normal levels of sales. That's about a third of businesses back to normal sales. Two-thirds are still light uh, many of them sometimes it, it, we've heard lots of examples from our members where they're down by 50 percent or more and as passport re- restrictions were put in place we saw all of the businesses in arts and entertainment recreation as well as hospitality see a further decline in sales as they were limited to serving only fully vaccinated consumers so this ain't over and mm-hmm. and sadly even if the restrictions aren't s- stopping consumers, uh, from visiting, say, small retail stores, the constant messaging from government about new worries and, and, uh, and, and, and new variants and, and messages to stay home, that's causing a lot of consumers to, to sit on their hands anyway. So uh, it's, restrictions are a part of this, but so is just the natural messaging uh, to, to consumers to stay home. And even if one you know, accepts all of the advice of public health officials, we have to acknowledge that it's it's really killing a lot of small businesses in the process.
0: Oh yeah, uh, the emotional impact on small businesses, we go into the Christmas season. It like it, it was expected to lessen the impact of the pandemic on on the you know you talk about the sales and such. Uh, what what is that emotional impact on, on them when they see that here we go again?
2: Well, look, it is it is certainly better than it was last year. I, I recall that in most provinces, there were restrictions being added as we approached the Christmas holiday season. Certainly in Ontario, lockdowns resumed right before the Christmas holiday season. Um, and, and so that really you know was just devastating. They essentially missed uh, the, the, the incredibly important holiday season. Some businesses, especially in retail, tell us it's 40% of their annual sales that happen in the six weeks leading up to Christmas. This year, there aren't as many restrictions, certainly on the retail setting. You can go into most retailers across Canada, and and there are very few capacity restrictions. Passport rules aren't in place uh, for for those settings, Uh, but still, we've seen that natural decline in sales, and of course, tons of consumers have shifted online. A lot of those sales have gone to the big guys, the big box stores on their online sites. As the, and they were, of course, allowed to open last year, where the small guys were shuttered. And then people got in the habit of buying, uh, you know, all their needs on Amazon and other, other online players. So we're not seeing those sales come back to the small businesses that, that were there pre-pandemic, and, and that's a worry.
0: Uh, another worry for for small businesses, obviously, uh, a lack of workers, and and some businesses are foregoing the the double vaccination in order to hire more people. And what concerns, if any, do you have about that?
2: Yeah, the shortage of labor is one of the gripping issues. So look, for about as I said, there's about a third of our businesses that have gone back somewhere close to normal, uh, and for them, they're dealing with supply chain issues, massive cost increases on almost everything that they buy and a gripping shortage of labour. But i got to tell you, for other businesses that still don't have all of their, their customers back, they may be down, like they may have had 20 employees under normal times. They only need 10 because, you know, they're still not seeing customers come back, but they can only find five workers. Uh, and, of course, there is pressure on many of these businesses to, to only hire fully vaccinated Canadians. i got to tell you, almost no businesses are doing that these days because if they did, uh, there would be very few people left in the labor pool um, and our message, my message to small business owners is, look, if governments are, are going to not even mandate vaccinations in hospital settings uh, because they know that it'll lead to a shortage of workers, well then for small business owners, that's just not something that I would suggest that most, most businesses even consider.
0: Now, has the uh, government been talking about, whether provincial or federal, because uh, I know some supports are, are required for small businesses, uh, have they been talking about with this new variant that there'll be more available?
2: No, and this is the, this is the real frustration on our part right now. Uh, at the moment, there is legislation winding its way through the House of Commons Bill C-2 uh, that would extend some wage and rent subsidy support for businesses but the government has announced as its intention to try to stage this back as quickly as possible. They've already, the, right now there are, none of the subsidy programs are, are available. All the provincial support programs are closed. The SEVA loan program for the feds closed and even the flagship wage and rent subsidy, that is on pause until the legislation is debated. Once the legislation, if it passes in its current format, only one in five businesses in need of support will qualify for support. If you can believe it, if you're a restaurant owner, you will get a wage and rent subsidy if your losses are forty percent or more. But if you're down a third in revenue, which is pretty fundamental to your business, mm-hmm. you get no help from Ottawa whatsoever. That just doesn't make sense. Uh, we, you know, we have a difficult choice to make. Either we continue to support the businesses while we while we restrict them while we tell consumers to stay home or we allow them to open up uh, and, and, and serve their customers as they normally did. Right now, businesses are in this purgatory where they're, they're facing big restrictions and no support uh, or declining support from, from the federal and provincial governments. It's a terrible, terrible situation.
0: So the bottom line for our viewers and listeners is to, if, can, if you can, please support local.
2: Look, we've got a campaign out, Small Business Every Day. There's a special website dedicated to it with tons of ideas of how you can support local small businesses in your communities. They desperately need consumer support. Uh, There's nothing wrong with buying something at a big box store or, or an online giant, but we're asking consumers, especially over the holidays, to dedicate a chunk of their spend to the local independents in their backyard. That can be really, really helpful. And even if you prefer to shop online, Many small businesses have moved, made the shift, uh, check them out. You may have to do a Google search. It may not be one click, but you can find a lot of small retailers, small businesses that are with online presences that can, that can send you your goods uh, to meet your needs during the holidays. And I got to tell you, a lot of small firms have more supply than some of the big guys that are dealing with the supply chain pressures in an even greater
0: way. Dan, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for the time. Dan Kelly is the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. When I first heard about the more transmissible variant, it felt like Groundhog Day. Abacus Data took a look at the mood of Canadians in the face of the new variant. And David Coletto of Abacus is going to join us and fill us in on how Canadians are feeling about it. And David, before the news about Omicron, were Canadians starting to bounce back?
3: They were. I mean, we've been tracking, you know, the public's reaction, attitudes, how they're feeling about this pandemic from the very beginning. And I mean, it just to to, to, to say it bluntly, it's been like a roller coaster and, and the charts look like a roller coaster because, you know, from one week to the next, depending on the news, people were feeling either really optimistic or then the next week, you know, their anxiety levels would go up. And I think, you know, in, into the spring and, and summer, as as vaccination rates increased and and people were really starting to see the case numbers drop, there was a lot of optimism that that quickly subsided into the summer when sort of the fourth wave came, and you know coming into the fall into October, we saw a return where where we saw more people saying they weren't they were getting less anxious, uh, less worried about this pandemic, and then the Omicron uh, variant news breaks. And within days, we saw a spike again in, in people saying, look, I'm getting more worried about this. Um, I'm not sure that the worst is behind us. And that level of uncertainty and anxiety um, hasn't reached its peak, but it's still close where you've got 40% of Canadians saying, I'm getting more worried. And, and, and only about 15% saying they're getting less worried. So we're back groundhog day again another version in which you've got large numbers of the country feeling feeling quite anxious about what this all means Who who's the most concerned about this variant well as we've seen throughout the pandemic older canadians uh continue to show uh, a higher you know a sense of, of worry and concern um i think that's related to the fact that we know covid does uh, have a greater impact on on older folks um also we see uh, women being more worried than men. Uh, not a significantly big difference, but still noticeable that that women of all ages are are more likely to be concerned about this. Um, regionally, not a lot of differences. Um, probably the only notable one is is how folks in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba feel versus Canadians everywhere else. We we see that you know those living in Ontario and Quebec, Atlantic Canada, B.C. Are about equal when it comes to their level of concern, but Albertans uh, and those others living in the prairies are, are less likely to be worried, um, and that's I think partly political. It's partly you know their 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 views on on on, on the pandemic itself, but but also I think the state of the pandemic uh, at any given moment in those different parts of the country.
0: Uh, this has been a long haul. Are Canadians starting to tune out or are they just paying more attention
3: as you know we ride this roller coaster? Well, I think my sense is based on how fast people react to the news, they're still paying attention. Um, I think there's certainly a level of fatigue. I think we're all exhausted by uh, this pandemic. And I think it's exhausted us in terms of how to deal with it and, and how it's changed our lives in so many ways. But I do get a, a real sense that people are just, you know, they're, they're, they're sick and tired of it. They're, they're, they wanna be able to move past. They understand, I think, that that COVID's gonna be with us one way or the other for, for a long time. But I think the, this, this new variant emerging and how fast it's spreading, and because it's emerging from South Africa, this reinforces the view that, that, that we won't deal, this, this pandemic won't be over. Until it's over everywhere, and so I think there will be an increased focus for how can we, as Canadians, as a country, as as a, a sort of a, the rich part of the world who who have been vaccinated, what can we do to to help those in other parts of the uh, parts of the world? Because this is an example that we we aren't we aren't safe um, if if everybody isn't safe.
0: You know, we we could even see more variants considering the evo- evolution of this uh, virus, and how would you expect Canadians to
3: react to? Another possible variant after Omicron. Well, I think I think you know past past uh, data just I think allows us to predict is that they will respond and and they will get their backs up and they will, you know, start thinking about w- the choices they're going to make in their lives. I mean, there was a there was another survey from from Leje earlier this week that showed, you know, just or so sorry from Maru Maru that showed you know despite the fact that people were were concerned about it. They weren't necessarily going to change their behaviors all that much, and but there was some concern that that maybe the you know the vaccines aren't going to be effective. I think the the problem with this variant even today, and we did this survey about a week and a half ago, is there's still so much unknown, um, and that's the scary thing for people, right? They're, they aren't going to fundamentally change their behaviors until they're told to, until they're told you can't go eat in a restaurant, you can't you know gather. Um, we've learned that from the past eighteen months. But I do think there's going to be trepidation, particularly those who are most anxious or worried about this about this virus and how it might affect their kids or their loved ones. Um, but it again, that roller coaster of up and down, up and down um, will continue as long as the, these variants emerge and and people feel any sense of 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 unsafe unsafety uh, related to it.
0: Was there, uh, in, in terms of uh, your, uh, your survey, uh, unvaccinated, was there any uh, more concern by the unvaccinated about a new variant, or is it just
3: steady as she goes for them? Yeah, you'd think there might be, right, because they aren't as protected. But in fact, I think what we're seeing is the, it's the complete opposite. Those who are unvaccinated and those who are unvaccinated and say, I'm never going to get the vaccine, are the least worried about this new variant and and the pandemic more more, more broadly. And I think it's a, I think it shows the psychology of those that have resisted getting a vaccine now have a very different point of view and frame of reference when it comes to this pandemic and the virus than those who have been vaccinated, right? If you've been vaccinated, um, you either have, um, you fear it and you think it works and, and you wanna protect yourself. For some, particularly those maybe who've gotten it more recently, it's because Unless you are, you can't do certain things these days. But for those who, for the minority, the small minority who are still resistant, they don't see much threat um, in in this new variant and in and in the pandemic uh, generally. And so that that's a that's a proof point that it's going to be hard to convince them to get vaccinated if you don't think there's anything to worry about. And and so that's one of the uh, the really interesting and and what you would normally think is you know, counterintuitive findings in the research. But it's become now, I think, part of their identity to, to resist the vaccine as opposed to a logical choice on, on, on their part. David, I want to thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Ed. Thanks for having me.
0: David Coletto is the president and CEO of Abacus Data. Now, through the pandemic, we've heard about the rise in mental health issues in Canadians, and it's quite evident considering the changes to our lives. Steve Jordans is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto Scarborough, and he joins us now. And Steve, you're concerned Omicron is a tipping point for Canadians.
4: How so? Well, I mean, it'll it'll really depend how things play out. So Omicron is becoming this sort of mysterious kind of thing where we just don't know how bad or or dangerous it will be if it really is um, something that pushes us all back again. So I'm worried about another wave of us going back to our homes and stuff. There is this psychological phenomenon called learned helplessness that when you try to battle something um, repeatedly and fail, uh, you can reach a point where you just don't want to try anymore. And it starts to kind of move uh, a mindset from anxiety to more sort of depression. And and that's a potential worry because depression is a, is a very serious uh, mental situation to be in. So that's that's the worry. But I'm not sure if it's how big of a worry it is. The latest news on Omicron hasn't been as dire as it was, say, 10 days ago.
0: Uh, now, there is a rise in anxiety in Canadians, according to Abacus data. We were looking yeah. at their latest information, but you know, how do you deal with uh, the up and down of, of emotions
4: that Canadians have been
0: dealing with for the last two years?
4: It, it, it's been a very, very tough time. And I think one of the things I would suggest is, is to understand what's going on. So I, I created a free online course at the beginning of this. It's on Coursera.org that's um, entitled Managing Anxiety During COVID-19, and it's all about teaching us all what anxiety is, which is a very simple biological reaction. Uh, When our body senses threat, it kicks us into this fight or flight mode, this sort of superhero mode to help us deal with it. That's great if the threat's a bear and we can either fight it or flee from it. When it's COVID and it's there every morning when we wake up and it's not so obvious how to fight it and it's not obvious at all how to flee it, we're left in the state of a little bit of chronic activation of that fight or flight, and that's the anxiety we all feel. Uh, but I do think if you understand that, there are ways you can give yourself a break. We're not going to escape it, but we do need to have a, a break from it every now and then, or it can lead to burnout. Essentially,
0: how do you, how do you uh, get a break?
4: <laughs> How do I get a break? Yeah, there's sort of two two approaches to that. Um, but one is to understand the effect the environment has on our mind and then use that. So if I give you a negative example, if you watch a lot of news, that's like staring at the bear. And so you're going to get more and more anxious, you know, the more you read about it, the more you think about it. If you instead can find things that make you laugh, sing or dance, um, or even deep social connections, what you'll usually find with those is they make you feel really good. Uh, my prototypical like, thing is like karaoke, like do karaoke with your family. You will laugh, you will sing. Uh, and those sorts of uh, activities flood our body with positive hormones that counteract the cortisol that stress releases. Uh, and so it's really is a medicine and to schedule things in your day, you know, find out what makes you laugh. And if you, if you find something schedule that. Try to do that regularly. If something else makes you dance or, or sing, you know, create a playlist of those songs that you loved when you were 16. Bring that back and you'll have the flood of memories of, of that time. Find these things that take your mind away from COVID, use them as medicine, schedule them into your day, give yourself a break uh, that way.
0: You know, we're about two weeks away from Christmas right now. I know a lot of Canadians were really hoping to get together this year. And you're talking about all those positive social things, but everything is up in the air with this Omicron.
4: It, it really is. I mean, I remember last year telling people, you know, we're going to have a horrible Christmas, but you can plan for next year, plan the best great things for next year, because I'm sure we'll be fine then. And then we get to next year and we're like, oh, really? We're still not, not there. And so, yes, that's true now. But let me let me actually point out if you find yourself not comfortable or able to physically be together. I'm I'm pointing a lot of people to the the glories of the phone 1980s style. You know, when we used to actually talk on phones and use phones as phones, Um, there's something really special about, well, something like a podcast or something like a phone call. It has the words that are being said, which are, you know, the message, but it's all those non-verbals. It's all those other little weird sounds that are really the human connection. If, If you're telling somebody that you care about, geez, I had this horrible day, a bunch of people without masks kept coming close to me, blah, blah, blah. And if that person just says something like this, (sighs) that sound tells you, I'm listening to you. I'm feeling what you're feeling. Man, that must have been annoying. And those little sounds are where we feel that human connection. And those are the ones that really make us feel good. So put away the social media. Emoticons don't do it. Pick up the phone, schedule some phone calls with people, make it anything. We watch. Let's watch Masked Singer together. But after that, let's call and talk about what we saw. doesn't matter what we're talking about. What we're going to be doing is sharing that emotional connection. And when we hang up that phone, we will feel a lot better. I, I'm
0: wondering what the long-term impact of a, a rise of anxiety levels in, in yeah.
4: Canadians. What are we looking at there? It it is tricky. I mean, it's been unprecedented. We've never had chronic anxiety this level for this amount of time uh, ever. Will that be good or bad? I mean, I think the silver lining is mental uh health is not just an issue for other people now we all feel the challenge of mental health um we are now sort of learning some of the information about it some of the strategies so i think that could be good you know it's possible in fact i would like to see a more formal approach to that i would love to see our school systems include some information about you know similar to what i just told you about your how your body reacts to stress and ways that you can maybe mitigate that Because there's the opportunity that we could use this all as a place to learn some coping strategies and learn some mental health strategies that would help our kids when bully, you know, when bullies are around or all sorts of other situations that cause anxiety. So that's the positive thing. Maybe we'll come out of this, you know, a little better armed uh, for our mental health. But on the negative side, it really depends on how. uh, how existentially you feel the threat. So, so there are some people that are really living in fear right now. They're 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 fearful that they'll bring the virus home and, and potentially harm a loved one that may be in a compromised state, or they may be fearful about themselves. If you're feeling that deep level of fear, that's the kind of thing that can give rise to PTSD-like um, symptoms, where literally stimuli like crowds get associated with that fearful state. And then you could come out of the pandemic, but you might carry some of these uh, fears with you. That that can happen to the people that are really, really feeling, you know, scared by all this. Most of us are just annoyed and anxious and tired and exhausted, but some people are really mortally fearful, and and those people will carry a shadow of this pandemic with them afterwards. I'm afraid. How how much
0: of the anxiety is is it, you know is driven in the vaccinated by the
4: unvaccinated? how much of the anxiety in the vaccine is driven by them. Okay. I had to just parse that through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the funny thing psychologically is we have this concept called the common enemy. And we often say that when there's a common threat to all, that should pull humanity together to face this common enemy and there's experiments showing this is true. It didn't happen here. <laughs> we, we have this common threat. It seems to the vaccinated like the threat is obvious and the, the approach that there's really only one good approach to, to handling it, but we have this group of people who for whatever reason have been convinced that that approach is worse than the original problem. Uh, And so it has created a divide at a time when we really, really need unity. Uh, and, And I think that's become a source of frustration, absolutely, to the vaccinated, which then makes the unvaccinated feel like they're being second class citizens or of some sort, and we're kind of treating them that way because that's our strategy, and I actually think psychologically it's a good strategy, but it creates a lot of division, and sometimes that comes right into our families, and it certainly has into mine. Um, and I know so many others where, you know, I, I sometimes say the the biggest shadow I'm going to have from the virus is that shadow, the the scar of that division. That's going to happen when the virus is gone. I'm not sure how my family will be able to to recover from some of this, and I know a lot of other people are the same way. So, you know, that's just a real shame. It really is too bad we couldn't have found a way to either message or in some other way have the unvaccinated understand or see things a little bit more from our perspective. But it's two different worlds now. They, it's just like we're looking through the window and seeing completely different things out the window.
0: Steve, I want to thank you for joining us. Yeah,
4: Thank you for the invite. I appreciate it.
0: Steve Jordans is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto Scarborough. Our unpublished.vote question asks you, will the Omicron variant lead to a fifth wave of the pandemic? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guests today, Rewat Dianandan at the University of Ottawa, Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, David Coletto of abacus data and steve jordans at the university of toronto scarborough now this will be our final podcast for 2021 we'll be taking a hiatus through the holidays and we'll be back early in the new year so we wish you all the best during the holiday season thanks for watching the unpublished cafe stay safe i'm ed hand